Oh, yay. Oh, yay. This is SCOTUS Talk, a nonpartisan podcast about the Supreme Court for lawyers and non-lawyers alike. Brought to you by SCOTUS Blog. Welcome to SCOTUS Talk. I'm Amy Howe. Thanks for joining us. The Supreme Court returns to the bench next week to kick off the final argument session of the year. The first two sessions of this term have been packed with blockbusters, and the December session is no different. On December 5th, the justices will hear oral argument in 303 Creative versus Alanis, a clash between free speech rights and LGBTQ rights. Joining us today to discuss the case is Greg Storr, who has covered the Supreme Court for Bloomberg News for over two decades. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Amy. So let's start at the beginning. Um, Who are Lori Smith and 303 Creative, and how did their case get to the Supreme Court? So Lori Smith is a Colorado graphic artist and website designer who says she wants to start creating websites for weddings, but only for opposite sex weddings because she opposes same sex weddings for religious reasons. Problem for her is that Colorado has a law that bars public accommodations, which are basically businesses that offer services to the public from discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation. And so under the law, she started creating wedding pages for for any wedding. She'd also have to create them for same-sex weddings. And she also wouldn't be able to post a statement kind of laying out her views on the issue. So she preemptively sued to block the law from being enforced against her, saying that it would violate both her speech and her religious rights. And two lower courts ruled against her. So she came to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court agreed to hear just her speech arguments, not her religious arguments. So for some of our listeners, this may be a case of deja vu all over again, because back in 2018, the Supreme Court had a case involving a Colorado baker named Jack Phillips, who for religious reasons did not want to create custom wedding cakes for same-sex weddings. What happened in that case? Yeah, very similar, same law, same state. Um, The court took an off-ramp in that case. Uh, A seven to two ruling, the court said that some comments made by members of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission showed hostility towards religion, uh, including one commissioner uh, saying that religion had been used to justify slavery and the Holocaust. So the court tossed out that case against the baker, but didn't resolve the bigger constitutional questions. So what are the the constitutional questions? What are the arguments that Lori Smith and the state of Colorado are making in this case in the Supreme Court? So as I said earlier, this is only her speech arguments. The court, even though her her position is motivated by religion, the court is not considering whether the Colorado law would violate her uh, free exercise rights. Lori Smith's argument is basically that this law would compel her and other artists to speak against their convictions. Uh, She says, uh, this is not like incidental speech. This is the core of what she would be doing for her clients. Uh, She says that the web pages she creates would be her speech and her message. Uh, And she says the state is doing that on the basis of content and viewpoint because she doesn't like, the state doesn't like her viewpoint. And she says, at a minimum, the state has to satisfy what is known as strict scrutiny, which is basically the toughest level of of scrutiny that the Supreme Court imposes. Um, Colorado says that Smith is basically looking at the case all wrong. Uh, It it says that she can create any website she wants, 
the state says she can even insist that every website she creates includes uh, a, a quote from the Bible describing marriage as a, a union between a man and a woman. But the state says once she decides to sell that product, she has to sell it to anyone who wants it. Uh, in, in other words, the law regulates sales, not expression. And the state also says that it, regardless of what level of scrutiny the court might impose, it has a compelling interest in ensuring equal access to publicly available goods and services. So she says regulating expression, they say regulating sales is sort of a, a very short. In a nutshell, yes. What are the, the major Supreme Court cases that each side is relying on here? So Smith has a couple cases uh, that she relies on heavily. One is a 1995 case known as Hurley. It is a ruling that unanimously said a private group that runs the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Boston didn't have to let a gay pride group join the parade. She also relies on a 2000 ruling known as Boy Scouts versus Dale that said the Boy Scouts could expel a gay schoolmaster. Colorado relies on a 2006 case known as Rumsfeld versus Fair. That said, the federal government could demand that universities give equal access to military recruiters on campus. That court rejected free speech arguments by law schools that were uh, said they were opposed to the armed services ban on gay people. Do we know anything based on Masterpiece Cake Shop or any other recent decisions about how this particular set of nine justices is likely to see Smith's case. This seems like it is likely to be an ideological divide. Uh, Masterpiece was seven to two, but there were a number of separate opinions that uh, showed kind of an ideological continuum. Uh, we have three new justices since then, Kavanaugh, Barrett, and Jackson. Uh, so we don't know exactly what they think in this case, but you know, I, I'm certainly going to start with with the presumption that it's going to be the conservative justices who are more likely to side with Murray Smith. And what are you going to be looking for during the oral argument? Anything in particular? Um, I, you know, certainly with almost any ideologically divisive case, you look at the, the justices who can can be in the middle: Kavanaugh, Barrett, Roberts. Uh, in terms of the substance of it. I certainly am interested whether they talk a lot about the fact that this is a pre-enforcement challenge. So unlike in, in the Masterpiece case, where you had an actual, you had a, a same-sex couple who wanted Jack Phillips to uh, make a cake to celebrate their wedding, uh, here you don't have you know, somebody who wanted Lori Smith to design a web, web page for their wedding. It, I'd be interested to see whether the justices care about that. Uh, Colorado argues this case isn't ripe for decision. And then, you know, with all, with, with Masterpiece and, and with a lot of cases that involve discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, the question is often, well, what does this mean for racial discrimination? Will there, will there be efforts to distinguish uh, this case and Lori Smith's desire not to create pages for same-sex weddings for, um, you know, would, would she be able to say, I don't want to create pages for interracial weddings, for example, be looking for questions along those lines. Where is the Biden administration in this case? They're, they're supporting the state. Uh, you know, they, uh, the emphasis is perhaps slightly different in the brief. They spend a lot of time talking about how, uh, while it's possible the law might be applied in an unconstitutional way, 
there's no basis for the, the pre-enforcement challenge that I was mentioning earlier. Uh, it is a change from the position the Trump administration took back in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. Uh, they, they lay that out in a footnote. Uh, in general, not a whole lot of daylight between where the Biden administration is now and, and where Colorado is. So they may get some questions from the Supreme Court about their change in position. They might, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of question John Roberts often likes, likes to ask. Uh, of course, we have, uh, he's one of, uh, one of the veterans of the, the Solicitor General's office who's on the court. Are there any other friend of the court briefs that stand out to you? You know, <laughs> there are about 70 some odd briefs. I didn't count them exactly. Um, it's mostly the usual suspects from what I can tell. I can't, I can't swear to you that I read every, every brief that's, that's filed there. So you've Fair got, <laughs> yeah, you know, on, on Lori Smith's side, you've got uh, Republican led states, you've got religious liberty groups, the Catholic bishops, uh, anti-union advocates, the uh, state side, you've got democratic led states, the ACLU, some other civil rights groups, and of course the, the Biden administration. Um, it, it, you know, for the most part, they are the arguments you would expect those groups to, to, to be making. So there's not a brief, like the retired military officers in Grutter, one of these, the, the judges that we've, we're going to see in the independent state legislature theory cases that sort of cross necessarily ideological lines or might be likely to grab the justice's attention either. I have not seen that. If you've seen it, Amy, uh, let me know. <laughs> okay, I will do. Um, are there any other differences? You've already touched on this once in terms of the pre-enforcement challenge between this case and Masterpiece Cake Shop that might, might also matter to the justices. Well, in this case, uh, there's clearly speech involved. Uh, there's no question that what Lori Smith is doing uh, does involve a semblance of speech, even though Colorado says that's not what actually matters in this, in this case. And Colorado says it's the sale that matters. Uh, in Masterpiece, the court spent an awful lot of time with hypothetical questions about, uh, well, if a, a baker is, is you know, doing something expressive, how about a makeup artist, how about a hairstylist? So, so that is a, a difference here. And then to, to you know, reiterate something I said earlier, the, the Masterpiece cake, cake Shop case was also about religion and the court made a very conscious decision in this case that this is gonna be a speech case. This is another question that you've touched on a little bit already, but what would a ruling for Smith, I mean, the, the, the court is ideologically divided. There are six conservative votes, three liberal votes. What would a ruling for Smith mean more broadly or would it depend on exactly what the court said? Well, it certainly would depend on exactly what the court said. You know, at, at a minimum, I think it's fair to say there, there's something like 22 states that have laws that bar sexual orientation discrimination and public accommodations. And, you know, it would affect those laws and how they could be enforced. The issue of how they will distinguish, if they will distinguish discrimination on the basis of race or gender and other things will be really, really important. The, the concern that some of the briefs on the Colorado side express is, how are you gonna stop somebody from saying, I don't wanna create a website for an interracial marriage? How are you going to prevent this from basically, especially if you don't have to even express a religious opposition, how are you going to prevent uh, this exception that you're carving out from basically overtaking the entirety of the anti-discrimination law? 
So depending on what the court says there, it may open up uh, broader questions about how anti-discrimination laws can be applied to public accommodations that say we, we have a strongly held disagreement with that and we are engaging in at least some form of expressive activity when we're, we go about our business. Are there any off-ramps here the way there was in Masterpiece Cake Shop? Is it the pre-enforcement challenge question? Are there any others? Yeah, it, it's harder to see here. The, the one they used in Masterpiece I don't think is available because this is a pre-enforcement challenge. There's not the a, a record of, you know, here's what a commissioner said at some point that may uh, you know, display some sort of animus. Uh, you know, the, the off-ramp, I'm not even sure if I would call this an off-ramp because it would really be a win for Colorado, but if the court were to say, because we don't have enough of a record here, because maybe this case isn't as ripe as we thought it was for a decision, we don't actually, we're not actually going to decide these big questions. But I, I think the disposition there would basically be to, you know, dismiss the cases improvidently granted and say, oh, we shouldn't have taken this, we need to wait for an actual dispute on the ground before we do. Those considerations were right in front of the court when they decided to take the case. So it's it's kind of hard to imagine that they would do that, but that's you know at least a theoretical possibility. All right, and I have one last very important question for you. The arguments this term have been long. Yes, they have. How long is this one going to be? We've only we've only oh, man. three lawyers, but I, you know, so so I haven't looked at the the amount of argument time. Is it seventy minutes? I think you know, with a case like this, I think almost the safe assumption is yeah, maybe double that. So <laughs> I think we're you know, I'd be surprised if this were less than two hours. All right. We'll be ready for it. Greg Store, thank you so much for unpacking this, this case so well for our listeners. Sure thing, Amy, happy to do it. That's another episode of SCOTUS Talk. If you have questions about the Supreme Court, please send us an email at feedback at scotusblog.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 202-596-2906. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. SCOTUS Talk is produced and edited by Eleanor Erskine, Angie Go, James Ramoser, and Katie Barlow.